Welcome to the final preseason episode of the Three Bid League podcast. I am your host, Tyler, joined as always by Matt. And by the time you listen to this episode, we will be less than 72 hours away from the start of the college basketball season. And who knows, if you waited a few days, the season may have already begun. The 14-game Super Tuesday to kick off November is upon us. Um... Every A-10 team is in action. They all started either 6, 7, or 8, so it's very, very nice if you just don't care about watching multiple games that day. But you know what, Matt? We shouldn't start off on that rocky of a note. The season's here. We're going to find out, like, great questions like, who is Leon Ayers? Is he any good? Um, I'm going to have the Duquesne game on my big TV that night, so... Makes sense. Yeah, we'll we'll find out about Duquesne. I'm probably not going to be watching that one because there's just going to be so much going on that night. But you're right, college basketball is here. I'm fired up. All 14 teams playing on the first night, so that's going to be crazy and should be a lot of fun. I'm I'm excited for what's hopefully going to be a normal season because honestly, last year was it, it was a mess, and this year I think it's going to be a lot better. So can't wait for things to get going. Yeah, it's going to be a thrill. And so to kick things off, we're going to kind of revive some of our favorite end of the preseason traditions. We're going to do our over-unders. We're going to go into our Power 8 Hot Takes segment. And then we'll just kind of chat at the end about our official standings predictions. All right. Sounds good. So ready to get going with the first over-under? Let's do it. All right, and also I want to say, so we have our own over-unders that we haven't shared beforehand. We also got a whole bunch of people tweeting over-unders at us, so thank you to everyone who did that. We're going to go through as many as we can because those were a lot of fun. But first, I want to go with one of my own over-unders to kick off the discussion. Since we're already talking about the big Super Tuesday, all 14 A-10 teams playing, all 14 of them at home, it turns out Davidson against Delaware isn't a bye game, so I was wrong on that one, but... Really, the A-10 should be favored in every one of these games. So I'll ask you this, Tyler. Over under three and a half losses on opening night for the A-10. Ooh, I'll take the under. Um, I think history would tell us that even in the worst years, it's not going to top three. But one of the key things that I'll talk about with my standings is I think that there is kind of a lack of terrible teams this year compared to normal. I think we're going to get some decent te- a decent team or two in the pillow fight. And while the conference is kind of lacking at the top, the middle is going to be pretty decent. So all of a sudden, like a, a team like LaSalle, who may very well finish in the bottom four yet again, I think they're better. And so that probably means they won't lose multiple by games, I guess. Um, Yeah, I mean, even scrolling through, there's not a ton that entirely scare me. Um, Frankie Policelli is at George Mason with with his Stony Brook squad. That could be potentially scary. Um, Ryder at Duquesne, like, we literally still have no idea if Duquesne is decent or if they just completely suck. Um, Boston U could beat Rhode Island, but... 
there's just not a ton here. There's a lot of really bad teams that they're playing that day. Oh, St. Francis could definitely beat GW. Yeah, it, it's – I don't know. The schedule was very bad that day. I'm still going with the over just because I, I'm i not very confident to start the season in the non-conference. seems like, you know, as much as we always say year after year that, oh, the bottom of the conference is looking pretty good, it it's never really happened. And that's what kind of holds the A-10 back every year is that the bottom teams just can't win these easy games at home. I think they're going to go 10 and four to start out. The nice thing is St. Joe's plays Maryland Eastern shore, who is one of the worst teams in college basketball and Fordham plays Columbia. Who's ranked in the three thirties in Ken Palm. So we have two of the worst teams with what should be a cupcake. I still think the A-10 is going to find a way to lose four games though. We'll see. Cause probably the best team that they play is Sienna, but Sienna has to play Bonaventure. Right, and that's, that's gonna true. be that's gonna be an outrageously liquored up crowd that night. That's a rivalry too. I think they play every year, so that yeah, one's also is. not a buy game. So yeah. that, that that could be intense. I mean, St. Bonaventure has been known to to lose the first game of the year too. They lost to uh, Niagara, I think, the year they went to the tournament back they still in like made the tournament. So I don't know. Another rivalry game. It's true. They got to stop playing these in-state MAC teams. No, this is incredible. They're, they're the only school that actually plays low-major local rivals. That's true. All right, you want to do one of your over-unders? Yeah, let's go. Let's just go plain and simple right down the middle here. Um, no one, literally no one knows where to put George Mason this year. Um, they came in at eighth on the official preseason poll. So over-under seventh and a half place for George Mason. Will they finish in the top half or the bottom half this year? That's such a great question because the more I think about the A-10 and the rankings this year, I really think there are like seven and a half teams that have a chance to be good with George Mason being that half a team because you just don't know. On one hand, they've got a new coach. They've got a couple really good transfers. So if that all clicks, they could be a double buy contender. They also might be terrible, though. The analytics do not like them at all so far. Ken Palm's got them sub 200. That's really tough. Once we get to my rankings later, I have them in eighth, just like the real A-10 rankings. So I'm going to say they finish worse than seven and a half. But that's, I had them, that's tough. I had them seventh. Um I basically, to me this year, I think there's four teams that are just kind of a step above, at least in terms of their floor. There's two that are going to be pretty bad. And then that there's just like this giant five through 12 cluster where they all have at least one glaring bad weakness, but like they're not as bad as Fordham. So I guess they're not in that category. Um, and so for me, I'm really just kind of looking for the strengths. What's going to raise that team's floor? And for Mason, as I talked about on the player rankings pods, I think Deshaun Schwartz is just going to be a star. He'll be an easy top 10 player in the league. And while we're going to find out whether or not Kim English is a good X and O's coach, I think he's the right guy to have in the locker room for what is definitely going to be an up and down season. And so all of a sudden when they've lost back-to-back bad games, I think he's going to be a great 
coach to pull them back up for the next game and turn things around. So I'll take them slightly in the top half. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a good line for them. That's a tough question. And similarly, so Andrew asked us for one of our, our Twitter over-unders, top half or bottom half for St. Louis now that Javante Perkins is out for the year. So really same question, seven and a half for St. Louis. I'll merge this here with one of mine, which is over under one and a half all-conference players for St. Louis without Perkins. Hmm. Because – if the answer to that is over, I think that I think it's an easy answer of top half. Now it can be under and still be top half too, because that's what I'm about to say. I think they get one guy, not because they don't have enough players who are capable, but because I love their depth. They just have a lot of dudes on this team. And like, even without Perkins, there's still going to be a wing who can't find minutes between Nesbitt, Jimerson, Fred Thatch, we know Collins is going to have to play a ton. They're going to want to play Lindsay and Okoro together. Hargrove, like there's just a lot of dudes who are going to play well on this team. Um, I am in the top half. I do too. Yeah. Sorry, I'll let you continue. So I didn't, I kind of didn't, I missed this question earlier. I didn't know this was coming. I had a whole slew monologue ready. Um, I had them too before Perkins got hurt. I was really in on this team. I thought they were going to coast into the NCAA tournament. And so I really just can't knock them down that far. I'm just, I'm so tantalized by the talent on this roster. I think we're going to see a a slew basketball that we haven't seen stylistically. I'm really starting to buy into the Nesbitt buzz. Okoro is going to be really good. He's Mm -hmm. going to be the perfect French replacement. And him and Thatch together are just going to be lethal in the paint on defense. So I'll take the top half for SLU. I really like this team. And after you give your answer, I'm just going to, I'm going to wrap this up here. After you give your answer, I also want to ask you, you know what, actually, no, we'll save this. We'll save that question for later because we haven't talked about our respective top fours yet. Carry on. I'm not editing this out. All right. So I, I do think St. Louis is still a solid top half team. It sucks that Perkins got injured. I think that really hurts the ceiling for St. Louis. And they could still make the tournament. I'm not really expecting it anymore, although the depth keeps them at a high floor. And kind of what I was saying earlier with George Mason, how like I think there's seven and a half good teams in the league. I think the bottom of the league is going to be pretty rough this year. Like, I, I just think there's so many bad teams at the bottom. Like, you really think St. Louis could be worse than all of, like, GW, LaSalle, Fordham, Duquesne? Like, that's four teams right there. I think St. Louis is guaranteed to be better than, so. I, I definitely put them ahead of all of them. And I'm starting to think as we move ahead that the big difference in our feelings in the bottom half of the league is that I think I just have a little bit more faith in the three Pennsylvania teams than you do. Got to think about that. Yeah, you probably do. But anyway, for your other question, over under one and a half all-conference players, that's tough. I'm starting to believe in Yuri Collins a little bit because he just scored 17 in their second exhibition game, which he's going to have to do this year. He's going to have to score some more points. So that's exciting to see him step up. I think he's sudden, he suddenly is a better chance, maybe. 
I don't know. It is such a deep team, though. I think I agree with you that they're still going to be pretty good, but they're only going to get one. I think it'll be either Yuri or Okoro, and maybe Jordan Esbitt, too, if he breaks out. One of those guys. I mean, if Yuri takes the shot selection of a top two on his team player, then he's going to make all conference. Because mm-hmm. he's definitely good enough to do it, and but the scoring has just never been there to this point. Um, yeah. All right. Were you going to get to your other question you were saving up, or do you want me to do another over-under? No, I, I actually – we're going to save that for way later. All right, that works. I need to make sure we have the same top four first. I think we do, but – Okay. Yeah, we can – we'll save that. All right, uh, let's do – you know, you brought up the Pennsylvania teams. We have a couple good LaSalle questions on here. We'll start with Rich from the Gold Standard podcast, and he asked us, over under two and a half players for LaSalle averaging double-digit scoring. And this is a great question because LaSalle famously had zero players above 10 points last year. So what do you think about this one, Tyler? Under. This team still doesn't have a star. Their best guy is Brickus, who is going to suffer from Yuri Collins syndrome in his sophomore year. He's going to be too focused on passing the ball to get to 10 points. And if Brickus doesn't do it, there's no way. Because, like, the team actually is kind of decent on the bench. And I have no idea if their second-best player is any better than their eighth-best guy. So if that happens, they're going to be sharing the ball, and nobody's going to put up scoring numbers. I think there's no way they have nobody in double figures. I think they get one. I don't it know who it's going to be, though. If Nickelberry, if Josh Nickelberry isn't as good as Dr. John is making us believe he will be, they could have zero again. It could That's, happen. I think Jack Clark had like 9.8, though. Like, they're going to get somebody. No, I don't know. But I can't think of two, though. Like, I think between Sharif, Kenny, Nickelberry, Brickus, like, one of them's going to have 10, but... I, I'd have a hard time picking a second guy, to be honest. Like, I feel I feel like the only way LaSalle gets three players in double figures, that would be, like, a best-case outcome for LaSalle. And do you really think a best-case thing's going to happen for LaSalle? It's, I mean, no, no offense, but probably it's not. It's Brickus, Clark, and whoever is better between Nickelberry and Kenny. That's the only way. Because that's the, that's the other thing is, I don't think Nickelberry and Kenny can get there. Because one of them's just gonna end up taking a bunch of minutes from the other one. Right. Or if I don't know if, if Clifton Moore takes what he learned from Archie at Indiana and just becomes a beast, which I forgot didn't Clifton happen. Moore was on that team for most of the last season. Yeah, so I don't I don't know if it's gonna be him, but that, that was a good question though. I, I like that. Let's let's do another LaSalle question too. Uh, this one's from Mill Fertelli. Over under one and a half Ashley Howard ejections. So he had two last year, hit the over. I think they both came like a week apart, if I'm not mistaken. They did, I think I believe they're back to back games actually. <laughs> it was close. Um whatever it was. So I, what do you think here? Give me the over. The seat's gotta be getting a little toasty. Um he'll have well, he'll have his one legitimate ejection where he's actually just gets super pissed in a tight game. But if they're near the pillow fight again at the end of the year, sometime mid-February, they might be down 20. He might just be ready to go hit the locker room. 
So he's going to get, yeah, he's going to get one of those where he's just taking out life's frustrations on the ref. Um, He's going to have to go cool off downstairs. That's an easy over for me. I'll take the lock. I hope he does it against Villanova on ESPN. Try to embarrass or show off his, his former mentee, Jay Wright. I don't know. That, that would be good. I want to see him. I don't know if you've seen LaSalle installed a new neon sign on the sideline with the LaSalle logo. I want to see Howard just rip it off the wall and carry it with him to the locker room or throw it on the court or something. Really make a scene. So that, that's a great question, though. I, I'm going to say under. There's no way he gets two twice in a row. He'll get one. That's what I'm going to bet on. All right. Do you want to do another one of your over-unders? Yeah. Um, so Davidson, they're going to need a good point guard this year to succeed now that, Grady's, now that Grady and Carter Collins are gone. Looks like it'll probably be Foster Lawyer. Um, if you ask people who watched Michigan State last year, they will tell you that Foster Lawyer may, in fact, just be bad. We don't know yet. We're going to see. We're going to see how he adapts to the mid majors. And so, my question to you: over under four and a half assists per game for Foster Lawyer? Because I feel like this is critical to, to Davidson's success this year. Well, I think part of this, I, I think it's under because Davidson just plays so slow. Like there's just not enough possessions for him to get there. I think his assist rate's going to be decent, but I, I don't know. I think it's going to be kind of like last year where it was several players getting two or three assists, but nobody getting a bunch. It's not going to be a John Axel situation where anyone's like a double-double threat with assists. So I'll say under. I'll take the under two. Because of the offensive system, this isn't happening unless Lawyer is like a transcendent all-conference guy and there's just there's just been nothing yet to make me believe that that's where this is headed. So kind of going along with the Davidson theme, since they currently have a player that's in this discussion, been seeing his name pop up on some NBA draft boards, and that's Young Jun Lee. My question, over under 45 and a half for the first A-10 player drafted, or so with the you know 45th pick of the draft next year. And you could say nobody gets drafted, and that would be an over, I guess. It's over. Um, I, I hate I hate bursting this bubble on Twitter, so I just try not to do it. But mm-hmm. so many of the guys that people are saying are going to be NBA players in this conference just don't make sense in the NBA. Like, Oshunahi doesn't go any farther than getting a two-way contract unless he develops a jumper. Um, same with Jordan Hall. Jordan Hall's skill set, because Jordan Hall's skill set doesn't work without a jumper unless you literally have Ben Simmons' talent level. Um, maybe Lofton. It's either, it's either Lofton or Lee. Those are the only two that I think go above that number. Unless I guess if Jordan Nesbitt really looks like the guy that went to Memphis. Yeah. Other than that, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to be looking at a lot of guys who get training camp invites like this year, but we're not going to be seeing guys actually going in the second round. I don't think so either. 
I don't really see anyone getting drafted, although I didn't really see Bones getting drafted last year. So that's why I asked this question. I, I do think it's possible. One name you didn't mention, though, which I'm going to be a homer here, but it really seems like Tumani Kamara has had a great offseason. He's getting a lot of hype around Dayton. Never know with him. He's a great rebounder, really strong, really athletic, and he played great in the exhibition game. So well, we, I don't know. It's kind we of got some call with him. Tumani Kamara hot takes coming later. But <laughs> once again, I just I don't know who he is in the NBA. Like he basically that's another spot where given his size where he's not really center size and he can't shoot that doesn't work unless you're a playmaking rim runner like John Collins or you're just a world-class defender like Bam Adebayo there's just not many guys in that mold who have roles in the NBA right now Mm -hmm. so I had another Tumani Kamara over under actually and that is over under one and a half sports center top 10 highlights for him because in the exhibition game, he already caught an alley-oop from Kobe Elvis and dunked it over his head. So I don't know if that made it or not. I mean, the game wasn't on TV, so probably not. But it seems like he's a great athlete, and this is just more of a fun question than anything. But I'm going with the over. It seems like he – I know he made it a couple times with Georgia last year. So I'll I think he – I'll take the under. Um oh. Because at some point he's going to get robbed where he just like throws down on someone's head in the midst of a 20 point blowout against LaSalle on the USA network. And the guys at sports center are just going to be too excited to show like something stupid that happened in Louisville, Boston college. Yeah. Could be right. I don't know. Is is having games on USA network in the Peacock, is that going to just kill the A-10's exposure? We got to be low I keep major. forgetting the NBCSN's going to die. Yeah, that's such a bummer. I'm trying not to think about it. I, I'm pushing for A10 to be on the Golf Channel. I mean, that's part of the NBC family. That's better than what they're offering right now. But dark times ahead. It sucks. All right. It's not we can do sports. It's true. <laughs> better than that. All right, we can do some more Twitter questions. How about this one from Amelia? Over under how many games it takes for Jacob Gilliard to break the steals record. So I guess we actually didn't get a number for this one. But I looked it up. He needs 27. He's averaged just over three for his career. So what, what's your prediction for how many games it's going to take him? Um. I'll give it 10. Okay. I think, I just think there's going to be a lot of blowouts and Mooney realizes that he put too many miles on some of those guys last year and he's going to be careful about the health. So I think we're, I think we're just going to see when they're up 20 with eight minutes to go, go, you're just kind of not going to play the rest of the game. It could happen. I actually think Gilliard might've played more minutes than Kyle Lofton last year. It was very close, whatever it was. So, could be right. I'm saying he does it in game seven. He's going to do it against either Louisville or Mississippi State in the Bahamas tournament. Game two of that, he's just going to go bananas. And he's going to have a great start of the season. He was my number one player in our top 20 uh, preseason players podcast. So, he's just going to shatter the record. I'm going seven games. But that's that's what I'm going to go with. 
All right, we'll do another Twitter one. We actually got this question twice. I didn't realize it as we were receiving them. But both Bana Nation and PD Buckets asked us how many coaches are getting fired. So Bana Nation set the over-under at three. PD said three and a half. This is a tough one. I, what do you think about this? It's under. In the, I think we went over this. I'm trying to cobble it together in my head right now. There's either six or seven hot seats. But the problem with that idea is like six coaches aren't going to get fired because just simple mathematics tells you that like two of those six will have a good season. Yeah, it could um, be it could be like the A10 talk article where the conference as a whole plays like at a 65% winning percentage too and nobody gets fired. I don't see I don't see it getting that high unless Richmond just bombs out. Yeah. Because like Mooney could get fired if they finish fifth or sixth. Everybody else, like Cox, McCall, Howard, Billy Lang, Jamie and Christian, like somebody in that group's gonna have to finish somewhere near the top half. Like, if any of those coaches finish eighth or ninth, with the exception of maybe Cox, I can't see them getting fired. I agree. I think it's going to be under. I think it'll be one or two. And maybe this is just the optimism showing for me. But, I mean, first of all, there's like seven coaches that have no chance to get fired. Like, just off the top of my head. Yeah. McKillop, Grant, Schmidt, Rhodes, Ford. The two new coaches, English and Neptune. Those guys are all safe. And somebody said it. Dan Brott's not getting fired. And no, I think Dan like, Brott's safe du- too. Duquesne would have to go like nine and twenty-two for him to get fired. It's not happening. There's no chance. And the more I think about it too, with a couple of the other names that come up, like St. Joe's has been awful, but they didn't fire Phil Martelli without knowing that a rebuild was going to take some time. I don't think they would have made that decision without committing to a coach for more than three years. So. I think Billy Lang, unless St. Joe's literally goes like, you know, four and twenty-six, like I think he's safe. The other same one, with, same with Christian at GW. It's only his third year, unless they really bottom out and finish dead last, which I mean could happen. I'm about to go, it, like if GW finishes like tenth or eleventh, and that's enough to fire Christian, they should just fired him last year. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think those two guys are safe. I think I, I hate singling anyone out. I think Matt McCall might be in the biggest trouble just because it's gonna be his first year without Trey Mitchell now. I just I don't know what the expectation level is for UMass because I think I like that he brought in some experienced guys. I just wonder though, like if they finish seventh or eighth, which I think is a fair expectation. Like, is that good enough for UMass? I don't really I know. Think so. I think it's good enough for him to stay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going under, though. The weird one is Cox, because I literally have no idea what has to happen in that See, one. See, I think Cox is pretty safe. I think... I feel like he is, too, but does, does safe mean he survives going to the pillow fight? Because that could happen. I don't know about that, but I, I don't think Rhode Island's that bad, either. But I look at his tenure... Year one was the big rebuild after losing Danny Hurley, and that team lost like six or seven seniors. Year two, they almost they, they would have been close to going to the tournament had it happened. 
They finished third in the A-10. And then last year was really rough. I mean, not going to deny that. And I think they finished 10th. But I think as long as a pillow fight would be tough to overcome. But I don't really think that's going to happen. So I think it's one or two. Someone in the Christian Lang Howard group is just going to be abominable this year and just get canned. Yeah. And then it's either, and then it's a matter of does Mooney underperform or does McCall underperform? And one of those two could be gone. Okay. So I have another over under related to coaches, and this has been a big change in the game of basketball. Over under coaches who will regularly wear a suit on the sidelines this year, two and a half. Ooh, so we already know one. Anthony Grant brought one lot. Yeah, and Grant's a lock. He didn't wear one at the exhibition, though. Mm. Which uh, that doesn't count. No, I. I Anthony, I think Anthony Grant's more likely to wear a tux than to go casual on the sidelines. Um. No on roads. I guess. I feel like Kim English is a no. I think Neptune's probably the wild card here. I mean, if like I was thinking the young guys like Neptune and English, well, like, Billy Lang does, if, right? If they want to dress for the job they want, they might wear a suit. Billy <laughs> Lang, I no one wore a suit last year. Nobody. I don't think. I'm gonna go over. Is. I feel like it's Grant, Billy Lang, and a wild card we're not thinking of. I feel like Matt McCall. He always used to wear like the maroon suit that match the UMass colors. I, I feel like he might want to bring that out. No, Matt McCall's rolling with the skinny golfer look. <laughs> All right, could be right. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say over, but I, I set the number very low because I think it's going to be an all-or-nothing situation almost. Like, it could be 12. I, I don't know. Anthony Grant's going to have a suit on. I know that. for I, I say that with outrageous confidence. All right, we'll, we'll see next week. We'll see what happens. All right, how many over-unders do you have left? Do you want to do one? Two. So I'll go with mine here. Uh, Hassan Ward, over under three blocks per game. He got 2.3 last year. And the reason that I throw this out there is because he needs three a game to surpass Larry Sanders' 95 that he did in his freshman season, which is probably the most realistic that Ward can pass in the VCU record books this year. Um, Lorenzo Watson, whoever that is, had three straight years in the 70s with 127 or more, which is just an absolutely insane number that Ward's not getting to. So um, the post-1980 record of 95 by Larry Sanders, does Hassan Ward get there? Yes, he does, because Mike Rhodes is going to play Hassan Ward this year. He's going to unleash him. He's going to play 30 minutes a game. Yeah, he, he gets over three. I also take the over, because after last year, where I spent the whole preseason pod crapping on Mike Rhodes for not knowing how to properly use Bones Highland, and he figured it out, I think this year he figures out that Hassan Ward should be his center because his other centers don't really do anything. I, I hope so. I think that's one of the keys to VCU being good, to be honest. I think he's just got to free Hassan Ward. Let him run out there and play defense and 
hopefully he improves his offensive game a bit too. So Hassan Ward at the five for extended amounts of time is going to be wild and outrageously fun to watch if it happens. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope you're right. All right, we'll do a couple more rapid fire Twitter over unders real quick. James asked us over under 750 three pointers for St. Joe's this year. So as a reference point, they had about 600 in 20 games last year. So basically, do you think they're just going to keep chucking threes, or Wait, do you think attempted? they're going to adapt? Yeah, that's got to be attempted. Yeah, seven fi- I mean, you, you know they're going to take a lot. You don't know if they're going to make that many. But basically, I think the question comes down to, do you think they're still going to chuck a bunch of threes, or is having a few centers going to change how the Hawks play this year? No, because I'll take the over, because if Funk and Forrest are their forwards, they're just going to be whizzing them. They're just going to be whizzing them up. Yeah, I, I can't take the under for yeah. St. Joe's on three, so that's an easy over for me. And if it turns out that the centers just aren't good and Funk and Forrest are their two big men, they might attempt 1,500. They might not take twos. <laughs> Maybe. All right, this one might have been my favorite question. It's not even an over-under, but we're still going to – I guess you could make it an over-under, but Ghost McHistory just asked us, is Fordham going to wear white on Wednesday? So, referring to the pillow fight, will Fordham be basically that sets the over under at 12 and a half for what place they're going to finish? I'll take, I'll say yes. I say that they actually are the away team in that game, but whoever they play decides that they want to wear their road jerseys. All right. So, I'll take, I'll take Fordham as the away team in their whites against the LaSalle Navy Blue uniforms. I'm going to say no. They're going to wear their their ugly maroon Rams uniforms. But I I do like the question. All right. West Pine Bills asked us over under one and a half appearances on the podcast this season. I like that's a power move asking that question. I can respect it. I guess my question though, do you think that's like combined appearances or if they each come on at the same time, is that two? That's one. Okay. And I'm sorry, guys, it's under. You needed Perkins to stay healthy. I, I was thinking the same thing. There's, yeah. there's too, we keep, we've said this before. Um, there's too many good people covering SLU right now. <laughs> we can't just go to West Pine. We can't just go to West Pine multiple times. We got our guy, Zach Miller, over at the Midtown Madness. Um, I will publicly apologize to Carter Chapley on this pod because it's somehow year four. We haven't had him on yet, which is just insane. So uh, to, our, to our Canadian pal covering the Billikens, we need to rectify that this season. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, yeah, if Javante was healthy this year, that could have changed things. If he just went nuts and averaged like 30 points, that could have changed the answer, but it's just not going to happen this year, unfortunately. Sorry, guys. All right, I think the last fan question we're going to do for now. And then we have one more we're saving to the end. Uh, Casey asked us over under four and a half technical fouls for the coach with the most this season. So you're already saying Ashley Howard's getting tossed twice. Yeah. So basically do you think he's getting one more? Yeah. He's going way over that. He's going to have like eight. (laughs) Yeah. I'll I'll say over. I don't know if it's going to be him. Could be Ford. Could be Dan Brott. 
like could all be the same game. They're gonna each get thrown out against each other. I don't know. But over. The Dan Brown one is interesting if they're bad. He just might not care. Yeah, he might He could get one every game. He's gonna he has the angry old man Duquesne fans behind him again. Um <laughs> that fan base still has a lot of pent up aggression, so he could really he could really feed off of them. He I'm sure feed, he could feed off of the 75 year old season ticket holders screaming obscenities. I'm sure the AD and the administration gave him strict orders not to dump over his cup of pure leaf all over the brand new court. I'm sure that would be like immediate suspension. So he's got to draw the line somewhere, but you're right. It could be a lot depending on how Duquesne is. Okay. I just have one more over under. This one's kind of a, I don't know. It's honestly something I think's worth talking about, even though I don't want to. Over under two and a half games, conference games forfeited due to COVID. Under. Um, we have the numbers for very few teams, but it kind of sounds like the general, the general thing around college basketball is that a lot of these teams came together and all just got vaccinated. And, like, players are still going to miss games this year because it's still going to be prevalent enough for that to happen. But if you have a fully vaccinated team, you're not going to have an outbreak that's bad enough to have to forfeit. We, we haven't seen any NFL games have problems. We haven't seen baseball really have a problem since August. And it seems like the Red Sox were doing some stupid stuff when that happened. So I'll take the under. I think it's maybe one. I really hope it's under. The only college game I know of, I know Dayton had their first football game of the year canceled because Robert Morris was unable to play. But I I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen it with basketball yet. I'm, I'm going to say under. I think we're going to get through the season clean. But I think it's worth talking about because you know, you, know, you just never know after what happened last year. All right. Do you have any more over under? My final one. Over under, so I guess the over would, I guess the under would be before. Over under January 3rd for Fordham's first conference win. And before you think that's crazy fast, they start off at LaSalle and home for UMass. And by the way, if they start 0-2, it gets really tough because it's then at Bonaventure, home for Richmond, home for Duquesne, at SLU, at Dayton, home for Davidson. So if they start 0-2, that could be 0-8 really, really quick before they go to GW. I don't know. I kind of think they win one of those first two games. I don't think either LaSalle nor UMass. I don't think – I think they're going to win one of them. I don't know which one, but – I'll say it before. I'm, Why not? I'm going under because I already see the Twitter meltdown when they beat UMass. I mean, we if there's one thing we know, it's a, a Twitter meltdown after losing to Fordham. It's All a Saturday, January 2nd, post-New Year's Day, everyone on their couch, and I, I just see the, the storm brewing on A10 Twitter that day. Yeah, 
I, I, I like that one. I, I'm I'm optimistic for Forum until I see them lose to Columbia in a couple nights. I'm gonna believe in them to win a couple A10 games this year. So I agree with you. All right. Well, that's it for over-unders. Like I said, we're saving one for the very end. But you ready to get into some Power 8 hot takes? Let's do it. For a reminder to everyone who hasn't listened before, um, these aren't really hot takes as much as they are spicy predictions, but we love the name anyway. So I'll I'll kick things off here real quick. Um, We have five each, but before that, I have – one that I, the more I thought about it, I realized it's a much milder take. I'm going to call it my salt and vinegar take. Um, it's not the consensus opinion, but I think if you really, if you really ponder it, it's not that crazy. Um, I think Jaden Nunn's going to be the rookie of the year. He's going to get the minutes to do it. I've been over this 20 times already, but just like, when you try when you actually read what Rhodes is saying about him, he loves this kid and he's going to put trust in him really quickly. And they have no depth at the guard position. So he's going to have room to fail early on and play through his mistakes. I'm all in. I will take the Jaden. I will take the Jaden Nunstock right now. All right. That's good. And actually, so and that'll lead me to my first take, I think. And, I think ours are actually going to be a little bit different here. Mine aren't so much bold predictions. Like, you could spin them into being predictions, but mine are more just opinions on, like, the current state of some of these teams. And one of those is that I think VCU, I don't think their injuries matter as much as people think. I think the fact that Rhodes constantly recruits these great athletes that he can plug in and play great defense I think they're still going to be really good. I think they're deep enough to overcome what's happened over the offseason. And I think what you're saying about Nunn, I think he's a great point guard as far as freshmen go. I think he's going to be able to step in and play well. So that's my first take. I think VCU is going to survive these injuries. I think they're still a clear top four team in the league. And if they get Ace Baldwin back, they could win the conference tournament. I actually agree entirely. I really like Watkins, but he was an insane wild card for this season. Like, even even if he stayed healthy, there was a chance that he scored like seven points a game. And they got, they have the forwards to replace him. Now, if Ace was going to miss the whole season, I'd probably disagree. But if they get him back in January at partial strength and he's really rolling by the end of February, then yeah, this doesn't matter. This team's going to get, and by the way, this team is, this team might drop a dud in November, but they're going to be really good when February rolls around. Yep. I'm, I'm very confident in VCU winning at least 12 conference games. I think they're going to be just fine. Even if they don't get ace back, I think they're going to figure it out. I just think they're such a tough team to play against year in and year out. And that's just like my big, program pick this year almost where I think VCU's too consistently strong with their recruiting that they're never going to have that much of a down year unless I mean it could you know it's happened twice with Rhodes the first year wasn't really his fault and the other time was a ton of injuries all at once so maybe that happens again maybe I'm contradicting myself but 
I think they're going to just be really tough to beat, especially with fans coming back. How many home games do you think they're going to struggle with? I, I'm confident in VCU. Yeah, not many. And they're, they're deep too, which is going to help a lot. Yeah. Um, so for mine, uh, my first Power 8 hot take, UMass will lead the conference in scoring this year. They got a ton of really talented guards. I think Fernandes is going to take a big leap this year and just become a star. I'm still in on TJ Weeks. Those two are going to have to play a ton of minutes, and then you still have Javon Garcia and the two Kellys transferring in. I think Matt McCall realizes somewhere partway through the season that he has a chance to just build an incredible offense always have three guards on the court, just play small, sometimes even play four and just put Santos at the five and just throws hands up on defense. Cause I don't think this team has a path to being that good on defense anyway. So I think he's going to be coaching for his job in January and February. He's just going to embrace the chaos, let his guards cook. UMass will lead the conference in scoring this year and it'll lead them into the top half. I think that could happen, especially since UMass likes to run and they have enough guard depth that if McCall wants to turn games into a track meet, he can rotate his guys in and out and they're not going to get too tired. So with how many shots they're going to get up, I, I think that could happen. I think that's a good take. All right, my next one, uh, this one, I, I, I made this a hot take specifically to disagree with you. I think James Bishop's one of the best guards in the A-10. And I think the perception around him for fans all across the A-10 is just the fact that he airballed a potential game-winning shot against William and Mary. I think that's all that people remember. My question to the people that rip on GW and that rip on James Bishop, because I see it all the time, how many times did you actually watch GW play outside of that humiliating moment where they choked against William and Mary? I mean, look, I'm not going to say, like, I watched GW much last year because I didn't, but the guy averaged 20 points a game, five assists. He had no help. With more talent around him, GW is going to be a little bit better this year. Bishop's still going to put up great stats. I think he's underappreciated. Hey, look, maybe I'm wrong. And, and by the way, James Bishop is great to have if you're trying to get out of the pillow fight. Which but, they are. And – but if they were actually trying to like finish fifth or sixth, I think he actually hurts you. Now we're not going to find that out this year. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but I fully just expect a repeat of last year because I think that roster is an abomination outside of Ricky Lindo, who's awesome and is going to average double double this year, but the rest of the team kind of sucks. Um, no, I think we're just going to see the same season from Bishop as we did last year. He's going to score a ton. He's going to rack up a ton of assists. His efficiency metrics are going to be just a train, like careening into the ocean. They weren't but, that bad last and year. His, if that happens, then, like, yeah, wasn't that then bad. he's not. But maybe maybe there is actually talent on this team. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I still blame him for the fact that Jamison Battle never got going last year. But we'll see. We'll find out with Battle at Minnesota this year. Maybe he's just not as good as I thought. Maybe well, and the other thing about GW, too, just in general, I know that I think they took home the 11 seed or something because of the weird COVID season. They went 3-5, and five, though. 
And their worst loss was they split against Duquesne. I mean, they didn't really – their other losses were VCU, Dayton, George Mason, and Bonaventure. It's not like they lost to a bunch of awful teams in the conference. They should have lost they both Duquesne games because that was the weird back-to-back days thing. But yeah, it was. Still, I, yeah, I mean – they were so they, bad in the non-con last year. Uh, they were, they were, but they, I feel like they started to figure it out and we just didn't get to see it that much at the end of last year. They only, I think they played the fewest conference games in the league out of anybody. So I don't know. That, that's my GW take. All right. My second take. Cause I got to get hot somehow on St. Bonaventure. I'm not taking them out of first place. There's no way I can do that. So the St. Bonaventure Bonnies will be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. They will win at least 16 conference games this year. I think they're going to, I think the veteran leadership helps them so much in the non-conference. They're going to win some big games, including beating Virginia tech on a neutral court. They're going to figure out the benches they're going they're going to crush this mediocre middle in the A-10. And they're just going to rampage their way into the second round of the NCAA tournament. And then at that point, who the hell knows? Because they might run into a Cam Thomas type again. But this team's going to be really good this year. They're going to be a top 20 squad in, in college basketball. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm feeling that. I kind of think they're going to go. I, I have them in first. I think they're going to win the conference. I think it's going to be close with Richmond, and that's something I'll talk about in a minute here. But oh, I think they go 14 and four, 15 and three, maybe seven or eight seed. That's final answer. I think I they're just going to tear apart the mediocre and bad teams they play this year. I don't think they have the upside to get a four seed, though. Like everything has to go perfectly for that to happen, right? They maybe I mean, the A10 the still is enough respect that if they go like. Trying to add in conference tournament games here too. VCU went sixteen and two a couple years ago and got an eight seed. That was a really, really bad. Yeah, but that was not a good VCU team in the non-con. It wasn't. eh, They beat Shaka, but it wasn't great. If they go, if they go like twenty-seven and six, like they could get a top four. Dayton went like twenty-five and six a couple years ago and got a seven. We'll see. It depends on who they beat because they play a tough non-con. Yeah, I, I think St. Bonaventure, they'd have to go like – I think they'd have to go like 29-3. and three If they beat UConn and Vautech back-to-back, all bets are off. Like If they do that, sure. But I, I think they'd have to lose no more than four games. To get I there. think they're at least winning the Virginia Tech game. So All right. I like it. All right, well, I'll go with my Richmond take. And this is just that I think Richmond is the clear-cut second-best team. I think they're going to be so much closer to the 2020 Spiders than whatever we saw last year that just was kind of depressing. It just feels like to me that everybody gives all these teams slack last year for struggling through the COVID season. But when people talk about Richmond, we're like, well, they they had a tough time last year. That's just who they are. Chris Mooney sucks. They have no chance. Are we all just forgetting that Richmond was going to the tournament two years ago and that they were the clear second best team behind the historic Dayton team. 
I think they're going to be fine. I think getting Sherrod back is going to help them figure out their defense. And I think they're going back to the tournament. I've just, I make this a hot take because I see an awful lot of people that don't have any confidence in Richmond. So I half agree. And this is my hot take. I think Richmond is battling in the final games of the season to secure their double bye. But they finish easily above the first four. I think just like Bonaventure, they're going to rampage through the non-con. They're going to start things off early. They're going to go on the road and beat Drake. They're going to upset Maryland. And we're going to roll into January with them on the fringe of the top 25. And it's going to be the hip thing that the national analysts are starting to talk about. Oh, watch out. Watch out for the Star Horse Richmond team. And then at some point in the first two weeks of the A-10 season, they're going to lose some idiotic game. This team's going to have, like, I so fully believe that this team's going to have at least two terrible losses. But but the big wins are going to be enough to float them into the NCAA tournament. Um, I I think Dayton and VCU, too, are both just going to kind of get rolling as we get into the conference play. So I pick Richmond fourth in the conference, but I have them as a 10 or 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. All right. I like that. I will say one more like hot take about Richmond, I guess. And we'll find this one out in a few days. North Carolina central was one of the worst teams in college basketball. I kind of think Richmond just cover. I think they're going to win by five. I think it's going to be so close. And yeah, if that's like a 25 point line, we're, we're betting NC central. That is like, that's one of the easiest picks. Richmond always comes out of the gate slow. I think they're going to make everyone in the Robin Center sweat it out that night. So that, that's a game I have my eye on, on opening day. But anyway, Richmond's going to be just fine this year. People are freaking out. They're going to be, they're going to be really good. I agree. The, the, part of the reason that they sucked at the end of the year is because Colton got hurt and they were so And Francis, too. We, I yeah. know he's gone, but... Yeah, they had a lot of bad stuff happen down the stretch. And if Grant Golden stays healthy, they were so tough to guard. And I, I'm, I couldn't find a way to put this in into this pod, but I just wanted to say it at some point. I'm buying a lot of stock in Isaiah Wilson as a six-man. Yeah, he's got a chance. All right, what's your next take? All right, hot take number four. Because we've talked almost none about Duquesne at any point in this preseason. Tyson Acuff will be top five in the conference in assists and will sneak on to the third team all-conference. Now, this is extremely hot when I, go back, when I remind you that last year's top five, Yuri Collins, Jordan Hall, Kyle Lofton, James Bishop, Jacob Gilliard. Those five guys are all back. I think something happens either where Bishop just isn't racking up assists because he's either shooting more or no one can actually score off his passes. Hall starts scoring more or Collins starts scoring more. I think one of those guys falls out. I think Duquesne's going to have a kind of a more deliberate offense. They're going to be very ball movement dependent. Acuff is going to be the star of that offense. And I think their defense is going to be great this year. And so they finish high enough in the conference that someone on that team has to make the third team. And I'm going with Acuff. Maybe. I, I don't know. It almost sounds like from what I'm hearing about Duquesne, and this is a shout-out to our friend 
Tristan Freeman, who recently got credentialed at the Duquesne game. So that's awesome. And I'm excited to see him cover the Dukes this year. But it really sounds like Trey uh, – is it Trey Williams, that Duquesne's new center? Yeah. Sounds like he's going to be the go-to guy. So I think if anybody makes it all on the all-conference team for the Dukes, I think it'll be him. But I like Acuff. I, I talked about him a lot in our preview for Duquesne. I think he's very important for if Duquesne's actually going to be a threat in the conference. So could happen. Yeah. And we'll see because Williams will be their defensive anchor. So if he can actually score two, then yeah, he's the easy pick to to be their best player. All right. We already talked about St. Louis a bit, but I, I have a take for them. And I think it is that Terrence Hargrove is I think he should be like the runaway favorite for most improved player in the conference. I think with no Jordan Goodwin, no Javante Perkins, they're gonna need an athlete to step up on the wing. And I think Hargrove's that guy. He's shown that he can shoot the ball a little bit now. I think he's got a lot of defensive potential just because of his athleticism. And I really think if St. Louis is going to recover from losing Perkins to injury, I think it's got to be because Hargrove emerges as one of their best players. So I I was excited about him before Perkins got hurt. And now I think that he has a clear path to playing time. I think he could have a huge season. So I could – Honestly, I know I didn't mention him earlier when you asked your question about the Billikens, but I think he's a very sneaky dark horse to make it on the all-conference team. We'll see. I, I think Ford will have to rely on Lindsen a little bit less this year mm-hmm. because it's kind of tough to find the spot for all the Hargrove minutes there if Lindsen's starting because Fred Thatch is going to have to play 20 to 25 no matter what. So we'll see. I like Har- I like Hargrove though. Yeah, He's going to be the- good and a Hargrove Akoro Nesbit front line could be a crazy run of run of dunk highlights. Oh yeah, that would be so much fun to watch. I think that where this take could backfire is if Hargrove just plays like 18 minutes a game, which could happen. Yeah, which is really possible. I'm just really hoping he plays a lot though. I I think I think that's St. Louis's best team with him on the court. So that's what I'm hoping for. All right. So my final hot take. Dayton is going to the NCAA tournament this year. Well, that's, that's a hot take. I don't All know right. if it's as a bid thief or if they get the last buy because the NCAA just decides that they're never sending them to the first four ever again. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> This, the talent on this roster is insane by A-10 standards. Like, they're going to have a – their 11th and 12th guys who aren't going to play would be, like, the third best recruit on any other team in this conference other than maybe SLU or VCU. And they're going to – it's going to start out rough because they're going to have to change the rotation literally eight to ten times this year as they just kind of figure out who the guys are but there's just so many players to be high on. And kind of my mini hot take within this is Tumani Kamara is going to make first team all conference. He's going to be a monster. Like I-, I thought he was going to be the Trey Landers grit guy who was just kind of the glue that held them together. And I'm starting to realize he's actually probably just better than that. He's going to be a better scorer than I had thought uh, kind of evaluating him all summer. Um, 
I think they figured out with the guards early enough in the season to cobble together a decent resume, whether it's Elvis breaking out or little Scoochie breaking out or, or maybe them just playing really big. I think the talent wins out. I think this is the year that Anthony Grant just sets it in stone that he is a top echelon coach. Wow. I, I love to hear that. that. That sounds great to me. And I'm, I'm excited for the season now. I don't think Dayton's going to the tournament, though. I'm, I want to believe they will. I just think they're too young. And I think in a season where a lot of teams around the country are going to be bringing back fifth or sixth-year seniors, I think the age dif- differential with Dayton having a bunch of 18-year-olds on their team, 18, 19-year-olds, like that's going to be tough to overcome they're going to be in a position to be the best team in the conference, but it's just going to be tough with so many freshmen. I hope you're right though. I think there's a chance the upside is insane though. You're right about that. And by the way, if this team does get close with how young they are, then we got to do 20 minutes on the end of the season, basically atoning for every bad thing we've ever said about Grant. I mean, that's, and by we, I mean mean me, his first season, because that was, that was bad. I mean, I've never said anything bad on here, but I'm, I I defend him too much, maybe. But anyway, I I couldn't get out of here without a Dayton hot take too. And mine is more player specific, but I, you mentioned like Kamara maybe being the, the Trey Landers glue guy. I think that's RJ Blakeney. And I think he is by far the most important returning player on the team. I'm, I was very happy to see he started the exhibition game against Cedarville. I don't know if that's because Zimmy was hurt and didn't play, but I think Blakeney needs to get minutes. I think he's clearly the best he returning defender. He needs to. And look, Dayton played great. I didn't watch the game, but listen on the radio. They played great against Cedarville, one by 30, which is what you would expect. But they only had two steals, and... I'm just worried. I mean, they held Cedarville to 60 points, but they missed a ton of threes that game. I feel like that defensive effort might not get it done. And that was a problem last year. Dayton did not come up with many steals at all on the defensive end. They didn't block that many shots. I think RJ is going to be the key to creating energy on the defensive end. And I really think he's got to start. I think he's got to play a lot of minutes. I know Dayton's going to run a deep rotation, but... He's got to be out there for his defense, I think. And it's actually funny because he's a little quicker, and I think the defense is is never going to quite get to the Landers level even two years from now, but I think the offense will be better. So he actually reminds me more of Mikesell than Landers, but no, you're completely right. R.J. Blakeney needs to start for this team. Like – to me, to me, the only two guys that it has to be are him and Kamara because they're gonna do because they're gonna do the little things. They're gonna give you the good defense, and then you just kind of figure it out from there. Whether it's Omzeal or Nokeji or Holmes, or you just play four forwards, which maybe you do, and just bludgeon everybody to death. God only knows what's gonna happen with the guards here, but yep. no, I, Blake Blakeney has to start. He's this team's steady hand. Even if he's just a token starter and doesn't finish every night, he's got to be out there to start. 
yeah, I was I was excited when I saw he was in the starting lineup for the exhibition game. I I think he's just so important. He's not gonna light up the stat sheet. Like I don't think he's gonna score more than eight or nine points a game, but I think he's gonna get some rebounds, which is something Dayton needs. He's gonna get steals and blocks, which is something Dayton really needs. I think they're in the bottom like thirty in the country in those rates stats last year. So I'm just excited. I think he's got a big season coming, just like Terrence Hargrove, an athlete on the wing that is set up for a breakout season. All right, there's our Power 8 hot takes. So um, real quick, to start off our preseason predictions, we'll put them in stone here. Um, Top four, I got Bonnie's, Dayton, VCU, Richmond. In that order, with Bonnie's, Dayton, and Richmond making the NCAA tournament, VCU getting a pretty nice seed in the NIT. Um, You have the same top four in a different order, right? Correct. I've got Bonaventure, Richmond, VCU, Dayton. Okay, so then I pose my question to you. Because to me, like 5 through 12, I could see it happening so many different ways. Um, One of my drafts today, I had St. Joe's at 5, and then I realized, wait, this team's not going to be good on defense again. Um, so who is the most, cause we know one of these four is not going to finish up here. I actually think that it's a safe bet to just roll with them because the middle's so bad that three of them will, but who outside of this top four is the biggest threat to just make us look stupid? Well, I think St. Louis is still very much in consideration for that. Okay. Even cause that's my Portland. answer too. But because I still I see, I see the universe where Nesbitt's really good and they just finished third or fourth. Well, so I had St. Louis fourth. You mentioned you had them second initially. And I, I still think they're deep enough that they could I mean they can contend for a conference championship or a conference tournament, maybe. I think Davidson too. I I don't think Davidson really has a chance to win the conference, but I mean they could finish fourth and I wouldn't be that surprised. They're just so well coached. Yeah, lawyer, got... lawyer, just better. Lawyer better, better be really ready. Lawyer better be really good. Which he could. I mean, because I, I Michigan State. I think they might. Because if lawyer's bad, then they might have pillow fight level guards. I don't think he's going to be bad, but you're right. He's very important to them. They, Davidson relies heavily on guard play. So if he's if he is bad, you're right. I just don't see how a former top hundred recruit. Like, from Michigan State is going to be anything worse than average in the A-10, though. And that's all yeah, without – I've never seen the guy play, so I have no idea, but just just my opinion. I mean, look, like, if they didn't have the McKillop-Brankovic combo, like, there were some doomsday scenarios that you could really spell out for Davidson to have a dark year. But, but yeah. literally because they have those two, there's no way they're finishing worse than 8-10, and 10, so. I agree. So you're saying anywhere between five and twelve, it can change a bit. I feel like we're gonna disagree on it's, it's who the weird. bottom two are. Like, there's a part of me that thinks that LaSalle could actually like get to eight or nine. I don't think it's likely, but like it, it's. I had to th- sit there and think about it. So my so my uh, my bot my other ten in order. 
I didn't want to just put SLU at five, literally just to keep from consensus. So since I'm so hot on UMass's offense, I threw him at five. SLU, Mason, Davidson at eight, Duquesne at nine, because the ACUF of Connie Williams defense is going to be studly. St. Joe's 10, Rhodey 11, LaSalle 12, Fordham 13, and poor Ricky Lindo at 14 with GW. I feel so bad that Ricky Lindo has to play on this terrible team. Can we, can we just lend him to UMass? God, UMass would be so good if he was their center. <laughs> I'm still, God, I'm thinking about my rankings. So I had them typed out. Now I, I thought about changing them. You know, I'm staying with what I have. So I have, I tweeted these out a couple weeks ago. There's two changes. One was St. Louis. I'll just read the rest of my now. So St. Louis five, Davidson six, Rhode Island seven. So I'm a little bit higher on the Rams than you. Uh, George I Mason eight. I kind of still haven't figured out that team yet. I just feel like they're. I just I, have, like a, I just haven't found the reason to be super positive on them yet. I almost just feel like Rhode Island. They're like the poor man's version of VCU, where I think David Cox recruits well enough that they're going to have enough dudes to finish in the middle of the pack. I don't think they're going to be great, but I think the Mitchell twins being healthy, they get a couple guards in the rotation. I, I don't know. I feel like they're going to be okay. But then I've got Mason in eighth. You know what? Dang it. I'm putting GW in ninth place. I, I don't care. I talked myself into them when I was going on about James Bishop. So GW. I think we did the opposite of this last year where I had them like I, ninth or 10th and you thought they were going to suck. Yeah, so did Stu, and I disagreed with you guys, and I was actually right on that one. For I didn't once. know that Jameer Nelson and Maceo Jack were gonna like disappear to Gilligan's Island in the middle of December. So. Well, they're GW's back. All the hype around Jamie and Christian, it's gonna come to fruition. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but they're gonna be fine. They went three and five last year. You extrapolate that out to a full season, that's like seven conference wins. Think about it that way. I think the reason I made that pick just now, I bumped UMass down to 10th. I'm just, I'm so concerned about them without Trey Mitchell. I, I hope they're good. I'm not expecting it. I'm sorry. I, I feel bad saying that. I love the UMass fans, but they weren't that great to begin with, and they just lose one of the best players in the A-10. I'm not sure if the transfers are going to be enough to keep them afloat. I just I think that like getting to five this year is going to be the equivalent of like getting to seven or eight in most years. It could. It and if they, well if could. they score, if they're as good at scoring as I think they're going to be, then they'll be in the top half, no matter how bad the defense is. Yeah, I guess I'm just not quite as sold on them being able to score without Mitchell. I think they'll they'll make some threes and they should be able to. I, I don't know. They're deep at the guard position. I just wonder if they're they're lacking that star, though. Even though I do like Fernandes, I think he's going to be good. But uh, just down on UMass. McCall's never had a good season without Trey Mitchell at the end of the day. And the last time they brought in a whole bunch of transfers, they finished like 13th place the first year of this podcast. I think I had UMass like fifth place that year, and they were – God awful. I hope that doesn't happen again, but it's not like it's never happened before. 
So anyway, my pillow fight then. St. Joe's 11. Wanted to pick them higher, but they still can't play defense until they prove it to me. Uh, Duquesne at 12. I agree with you that their defense will be all right, but I don't know how they're going to score at all. And then LaSalle and Fordham bringing up the rear. So sorry to Fordham, picking them last again. Just can't bring myself to bump them up above LaSalle, though. The one piece they'll throw out for Duquesne is if Kevin Easley is the guy that his Chattanooga stat sheet says he is versus the guy that his TCU stat sheet says he is, then they'll, they should be able to score at least enough to be okay on that end. So, yeah. And I, I think picking Duquesne at 12, this is the one I'm most scared of being dead wrong on because I do think Keith Dan Brott is one of the few coaches in the league that has the capability of just cobbling together a roster out of nowhere and just coaching these guys up to playing good enough defense to finish like sixth place. That could happen and I wouldn't be stunned, but it's just, it's tough for me to have too much confidence when they were kind of disappointing last year and they just turn over the entire team. So I'm not feeling good about picking them 12th. I'll be honest. I just feel better about the other teams I have above. I'm expecting a season of really good D and below average offense, and that should pull them into like somewhere in the 7 to 10 range. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm feeling okay about my rankings. Not too bold this year. I don't really want to overthink it anymore. I guess, do you have any, any final questions we want to get to before we wrap up the 2021 preseason? Let's close it out with this because we're already over an hour. Um, we didn't go over like all conference and stuff like that. We'll just save that for Twitter on Tuesday morning and just let everybody get mad on there. Sometimes it's more fun to just take it directly to the source. Um, <laughs> so the thing I'm trying to figure out is I try to piece that together. Obviously, six-team all-conference teams are incredibly stupid because you don't have six guys on a basketball court. But if we're doing predictions, would the gap, or to those who don't know, the generally accepted accounting principles, wouldn't that say that we should actually put six guys on our preseason teams? I feel like you're just... I feel like what you're about to say is that you can't decide on your fifth and sixth players, so you're trying to justify putting six. Well, actually, here's my problem, because I was trying to do it under this assumption. I can't figure out my sixth guy for first team. I can't either without Perkins. That does make it tough. Because I have the two Bonaventures, the two obvious Bonaventures, the two obvious Richmonds, and Kamara. Yeah. Uh, I just I just think VCU has just a bunch of second and third teamers on them. So Lee made the real team, I think. Yeah, right? which if I'm right about Davidson being in the 8-9 game, then that means Lee was not good enough to make first team. So Yeah. Uh, I, don't someone, know. I have to think about that. The missing piece here is someone in that 5-12 to 12 mosh is just going to emerge as a star. And, I th- and basically – the preseason poll is saying that it will be Lee, but it's it, it, like, it's someone out of the crew of him, Fernandes, all the slew guys, like Nesbitt, Collins, Okoro, 
Josh Oduro. Um, Josh Oduro, Schwartz. Jordan. Uh, the other one is Jordan Hall, but I just don't think Joe's will be good enough to do that. Someone out of that crew is just going to be way better than we expect. Or I guess everyone except for me kind of expects Young Jun Lee to be that good. But someone out of that group is going to be a borderline first team guy. So that's kind of the missing piece here. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe it's it, Schwartz. It, it might just be Deshaun Schwartz. I might just be really, really overthinking this. It could, but that's like the same conundrum. Like, if you think George Mason's seventh or eighth place, like, are they going to be good enough for him to make the first team? It could be because I because th- that we've talked about all the teams where I like their depth. I hate Mason's bench right now. <laughs> that's true. There's a chance that Schwartz and Oduro could both be like all conference level and they could finish in 10th or 11th because they just have nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> so basically like what everyone's predicting will happen to St. Joe's who somehow has two preseason second team guys, even though they're projected to finish 10th. Yeah. That was so stupid. I, we didn't talk about that much. I, I did not write it's that. It literally doesn't, that can't happen. If they finish 10th, they're, they're not going to have two of the 12 best guys in the conference. No. No, absolutely not. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Because their was, role guys are not an atrocity, so... That was the only, like, all-conference pick from Media Day that I hated. And I, I think Taylor Funk and Jordan Hall, they're both good players, but, yeah, that can't happen if they finish that well. So, I don't know, though. You're right. Yeah, we'll, we'll tweet out some, some all-conference teams. I haven't put a ton of thought into it yet. That's... I think the guys we mentioned, though, it'll, it'll be one of them for that sixth spot. So we'll close things out with this. Um, we found out today that Dayton has already sold out the entire season. Um, that's like Dukian. Like, you really, even the best teams, you don't see that happen because normally their fans don't want to buy up the tickets for, like, the bad non-con games. Um, I, that's like top 10 best program in the country levels stuff happening. It's so impressive. And because of all the pent up energy of missing last season after the way that the 2020 year ended, I think that, I think UD arena is going to another level of madhouse this year. And so I would recommend to anyone, if you haven't been there yet, if you're looking for your a 10 road trip this season, and you're not going to Olean, which is I, – I will make sure I get up there this year with, the, with that team being this good. Um, go to UD Arena this year. It's going to be really fun all season long. I just think in general, I, I think home court advantage is going to be huge this year. I think teams like Dayton, teams like VCU, St. Bonaventure – in particular, St. Louis. It's slow. Yeah, that's. I, I think those are like the big four, and then maybe some other you know smaller teams in the A10. But I, I feel like I'm hoping teams get better attendance this year than they would have a few years ago. I think people miss going to games, and I think we're all going to realize how much different last year was. So I'm expecting to see home teams winning at a higher rate than normal especially at those schools that we mentioned with just consistent attendance every night. So that'll be interesting to see this year. I'm really hoping we can, 
you know, keep going through this season with full stadiums. I'm hoping like even the Davidsons and George Masons, hopefully those fans come out since we all missed it last year. And that's just going to be so much better to watch games on TV too. I guess I kind of, yeah, I I guess no fans last year. I kind of left it out of my, my take at the time, but Dayton's going to win like 14 or 15 home games this year. They went eight and three last year. And despite the extra games this season, I don't think they're losing three again. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> but I mean, if they All take right. care of Virginia Tech at home, they should not. Lo- they shouldn't lose a non-con game at home. So, yeah. Okay. Well, we do have one more over/under, and this is kind of how. So Tim sent us this one, but this is kind of how we close out the preseason every year, anyway. And that is over/under two and a half bids for the A10. So, as you all know, the A10 has not gotten three bids since we started this podcast with the unfortunate name. Although they would have in 2020 when Bonaventure upset no, everybody in Brooklyn. Absolutely no chance. Dayton was winning the A-10 tournament. But anyway, is it going to happen this year? Do we live up to our name? Tumani Kamara pulls us across the finish line. Bonaventure, four. Richmond, 10. Dayton, last by. So that they don't put them at home. We get to three. Two bid pod. I'm sorry. St. Bonaventure, eight seed. Richmond, 10 seed. VCU, two seed. Dayton, three seed. St. Louis, five seed. All in the NIT. I I also, I literally have VCU as a two seed in the NIT. I think, I mean, there's going to be some teams that are close. I Maybe even Davidson. We might get four teams to the NIT, just like last year. Davidson makes it, too. Why not? UMass. I, I just... CBI no. champs. That's a question. Are we going to see an A-10 team in the CBI? It hasn't happened in, like, six years. Like, could you see if, like, GW had a surprisingly good year or if St. Joe's was good, would they pay to be in the CBI? I could see Mason or Duquesne doing it. See, I think if they Mason finish like was, sixth or seventh, I think they could. I think they would actually. See, I think Mason was the last A10 team that actually went to the CBI though, and I'm pretty sure after they went and lost, like I don't think they'd want to go back again. I'm trying to remember, I, I know I Duquesne did in like twelve. Because they had a game. Because well, Duquesne's Duquesne's only postseason game one in the 21st century. They gave up 112 points to Nebraska Omaha in regulation and won the game. Well, there you go. I mean, that's the memories you get from playing in the postseason. So I hope it happens. I hope someone goes to the CBI. We didn't even get the CBI last year, did we? No. Another benefit of having a regular season. Thank goodness. All right. Well, I have nothing else. I'm ready for the season to start. So anything you want to close on? Yeah, um, if you have not listened already, all of our preseason episodes still hold up, but they will expire soon. Um, Go back and listen. Dr. John Giannini, that one is amazing. If you haven't listened to that one yet, but you actually listen to our podcast, you are making a huge mistake. If it's late in the week and you're trying to get hyped up for college basketball, we got all of our team previews. We got our top 21 players. We got some Richmond St. Joe's in-depth stuff. We got John Rothstein. Go back and listen to those pods. But once again, go back and listen to Dr. John. It's from like August and it's kind of hidden now. But if you haven't heard that, you're making a, 
this is it's just not a good move. Yep, agreed. I, I and I hope we get to see Doctor John on TV again soon too. I don't know what his plans are, but hopefully he's back calling some A10 games. That, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, hopefully. Um, so that does it for the final preseason episode of the Three Bid League Pod. The next time we get behind the microphone, we will definitely be complaining about some terrible epitome of brutality by game loss for someone and how Richmond only won by single digits over NC Central. Although, can I ask you this right now on the record? If the A10 goes 14-0 and on Tuesday, are we doing an emergency pod right after to celebrate? Yes. All right, let's do it. We're not going 14-0. and That's not going to happen, but just in case. And we're only going to talk about Duquesne and Jaden Nunn because I'm pretty sure those are who are going to get the two screens for me. Well, I'm watching Dayton. We'll talk about them if they want. <laughs> they'll, get, they'll get the flips. I, I'm locking in on Duquesne because I, li- I need to try to figure out this team at some point. But that does it. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, give us five stars on iTunes. Send us a message on Twitter at the number three bid league pod. If you got any comments, everybody stay safe out there. The season is actually around the corner. Now I don't have to sit. I don't have to say it and pretend like it's true anymore. We got less than 72 hours. Everybody enjoy it.